There are people who would never dare admit to it. They would never say it out loud, whether it's because their ego gets in the way or maybe they're embarrassed or ashamed. But without a doubt, it is something that I believe every single one of us has dealt with one time or another. Imposter syndrome. Part of you kind of feels like a fraud or you're nervous you're not going to live up to the expectation. Please, I have been doing morning radio for 20 plus years. And the very first day that I started this podcast, I absolutely got in my head. I it was I was like a wreck. I was self-critiquing every word I was saying. And I'm like, wait a minute, I do this for a living. All of a sudden I start a new podcast and I have no idea what I'm doing. For some reason, we allow ourselves to get in our own head. And it's very common. More and more people are talking about it, which is great. So I was digging through some old episodes, and it wasn't too long ago where we had Mary Braunschneider on, VP of Sales, Digital, and Video Marketing at Shea Robottom, and she was fantastic. How to overcome imposter syndrome. I wanted to reshare that interview with you today. Plus, there are three very, very important questions that you need to ask your financial advisor when you're interviewing for a financial advisor. But if you already have one, make sure you know the answers to these three questions and a meaningful way to teach your kids how to live beneath their means. It is so important to do this one thing as early as you can with your kids to help them work out that budgeting muscle. All right, before we get to Mary, let's start the show with no dumb questions. No dumb questions, Erica Cummings, CFP at the Harmony Financial Wellness Group at RBC Wealth Management, also the host of a podcast called A Strong Woman for Strong Women. All right, Erica, it's such a cliche phrase, but you don't know what you don't know. So mm -hmm. what questions should we be asking our advisor to make sure they are the right one? In the beginning, when you're quote unquote interviewing a financial advisor, there are some really important questions that, and, and there's a list of them. So one of the things I wanted to say, and this week is perfect because our podcast, A Strong Woman for Strong Women, it's a little bit longer than this. And so it'll have all of the questions that I would suggest that you ask. But I would say the top three questions when you're looking for an advisor is first of all, what are their credentials? So do they have any of those letters next to their name? You know, what certificates do they have? Because what we're really trying to do is look at what type of experience they have. So when you ask this question, you know, what, what are your credentials? You may not want to hear something along the lines of, oh, I specialize in retirement accounts. You want to hear a more specific answer. And when it comes to a financial advisor, credentials really do matter. Those fancy letters, so to speak, after the advisor's name proves that they've dedicated a lot of time to mastering their profession. So for example, I'm a CFP. This is a well-regarded certification. It's awarded by the CFP board. It stands for Certified Financial Planner. I had to go through rigorous education and then this massive test. And then we have continuous ethical standards that we have to adhere to every single year. So lots of continuing ed. When you have a CFP certification, we are now well-versed in developing integrated 
financial plans. We have a lot of theoretical and practical knowledge of all different types of investment products and services. We have to have an unwavering commitment to the highest ethics and a steadfast commitment to putting the client's interest first. So I would say right out of the gate, you really want to look for those credentials. And the CFP is definitely, it is, it is the, the top one to achieve as an advisor. So that would be the first question. You may also want to, you know, tie into that question, you know, how long have you been doing this? What is your expertise? So if in my case, I've been working for 20 years. That gives you just real life experience. You've worked with a lot of people. You've seen a lot of different situations. So between having the, the expertise from the actual credentials and the ongoing continuing education, you also have how many families an advisor may have worked with and situations they have come across to help them be far more well-rounded and, and able sure. to help your situation. Yeah. The other thing is, you know, what's their philosophy? What's their approach? So it's one thing to just say, we do comprehensive financial planning. Okay, well, everybody hears that and they have no idea what that means. Mm -hmm. So you really want to ask what, you know, what does that actually mean for me? What are we going to be looking at? What are we going to be looking to achieve? And it's just like, you want to understand the approach of someone that might be counseling you to run a business, or if you're going to a personal counselor to strengthen your marriage, you want to know what their approach is, because you want to make sure that what you're looking to achieve from that relationship is what the advisor is bringing to the table. And sometimes that doesn't match. So sometimes you may be looking for something completely different than what the advisor's philosophy is. And that doesn't mean that that advisor is wrong. It just means you're not a good fit. Mm. So you want to talk about what their philosophy is. What is their approach to investing? Do they do planning? What are the different aspects of planning that they take into account? And do they maybe specialize with working with a particular type of client? Because all said and done, you might be a business owner and that advisor may have virtually no experience with working with business owners. So you really want to know what their philosophy is and, and kind of what, what their approach to investing is. And then I would say, you know, the, the other thing is communication is key to me. So asking them how often and how accessible they are when you need them. So how often are you going to be hearing from them and how accessible are they when you need to hear from them? Mm -hmm. So the biggest complaint that most investment clients make is that they don't hear from their advisor, yeah. so especially when things get bad. You want to make sure that there is something in place that you know, okay, this advisor has a monthly call, they send out a newsletter, they have, uh, you know, also they have strict rules that they're going to call me every couple of months and we're going to meet X amount of times a year. This way you're going into it knowing that you're going to have some level of communication. The other, on the flip side, some people say, you know what, I don't want to hear from you that often. <laughs> or I don't want to have a million emails coming at me all the time. You send me too much, I may not, I may not read it. So you want to have that discussion about what's their communication style. And if I call you, what's the turnaround time? You know, if uh, I call yeah, you, am I going to hear back from somebody? Who's going to be calling me? Who's going to be taking care of me? So with those three questions, you at least would know how qualified the advisor is what's their approach to investing in their philosophy on investing and planning. And then you'll at least know how 
how often am I going to hear from you if I do have a question or if I need some more of an explanation on something? Okay, great. Um, and, and we can find your podcast on any platform, right? Wherever any we're listening platform. right now. Okay. Yes. Yep. And then the best way to reach out to you. We have a website, harmonyfinancialwellness.com. The podcast is also on there. So you can subscribe right on there. You can email me directly, erica.cummings at rbc.com. I'm also on Facebook on the Harmony page and you can reach out to us on LinkedIn as well. Perfect. Thanks, Erica. You're welcome. How you can overcome imposter syndrome. Mary Braunschneider is next. Imposter syndrome, a psychological pattern in which an individual doubts their skills, talents, or accomplishments and has a persistent internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud. Who hasn't felt that? Dynamic sales leader and business development strategist, mindset and success coach, Mary Braunschneider is here. How are you, Mary? I'm doing awesome, Sandy, and thank you. When you describe what imposter syndrome is, it's almost like who hasn't felt that? No, absolutely. And I don't, I think even people that have accomplished so much still have those doubts like they haven't earned what they're accomplishing still. And everybody has this. It's not unique. I think it's that monkey brain of ours that casts those doubts and limited beliefs. And we go to start to do something new, something we haven't done before, and we get excited. And then all of a sudden that recording comes in. And I think I mean, everyone falls to this. It doesn't matter what level of accomplishment you're at. Um, So I think it's something we need to talk about more so that people know they're not alone. Now, have you felt it? What was that one time that you're like, oh, yeah. (laughs) Do I have to narrow it down to one? (laughs) (laughs) Well, one time that speaks very loudly is even when I was promoted from Chicago Tribune to be VP of sales at LA Times, I felt it extremely then like who am I even though I'd been in the career for 20 years and I knew this business so well and I knew I had worked so hard towards it when you end up getting what you've dreamed of then you start going wait did I really you know deserve this and you start having all those doubts but I also Sandy want to bring up when I totally pivoted my career that's also when it comes in really strong because you maybe don't have the experience in that specific industry or field, but you know it, you know you've accomplished so much, but because maybe you don't have the history in that specific genre or something, mm-hmm. um, that's, I think, when it comes in super strong. And with everything going on in the world right now, when people are really pivoting their career and their I think it's coming up a lot for people. So if you are in the spot where you feel like now what's next, how do I pivot? How do you overcome that? How did you do it? Well, one thing I've learned is to really start taking a look at your accomplishments you have in the past. Um, They could be small, they could be large and start making a list of what they are. And you will be blown away when you start doing this of how much you truly have accomplished. Uh, Whether that's being a phenomenal parent, whether that's leading a group of salespeople, whether that's accomplishing big goals, 
when you go back and you start writing all the things you've accomplished and you look at that list, you start feeling like, yeah, you know what? I have done a lot and I have accomplished a lot. And I think those feelings of, I do deserve this, come back. So what was it for you? Take us, take us there to that day. Yeah, I did exactly that. I started making a list. I had a mentor that said, make a list of all the things you love about yourself and all the things you've accomplished. And it took me a very short period of time in a couple minutes and you start writing and the list gets very long. I don't care who you are, what you've done, you know you've done something, probably many things that uh, you can be proud of. And that's why I did that. And it's a great exercise. It seems so simple, but it works. Oh, see, now you said you came up your, with your list quickly. I feel like yeah. if I had to come up with things that I love about myself and my accomplishments, I think I would need somebody to help me get started. <laughs> you know what? The first couple items may take a minute because you're not used to thinking like that, but it flows and it can be very simple. You love your smile. You love the way you sound on air, whatever it is, all of a sudden things just start flowing and uh, you'll be surprised. So what if you are in a spot where you know you have to try to find another job? Okay. You have to make this pivot in your career. You're writing down your list. How do you figure out, okay, what is next for me? Yeah, I would first start thinking of all the things that made you feel good about you and what you enjoyed doing. So if you're taking a career pivot, perhaps you're just writing down, I love working with people. I love an energetic team. I love taking on projects that I spearhead. Uh, whatever it is, doesn't matter. When you start writing down the things that you love doing that make you feel good, um, it'll start kind of formulating what you wanna do and what you see yourself doing in the future. Do you think it's more of a, I hate to say women versus man, but I never hear my husband complaining about imposter syndrome. Um, honestly, Sandy, I think men have it more. Really? They don't talk about they it. They don't talk about it, yeah. Because as I'm having these discussions with business leaders and entrepreneurs needing to do something different. So they want to get into the video space or how to, how do you brand yourself and market? Um, and we have to come up with new ideas in this day and age. We can't do the same thing we've been doing. It just isn't working. I speak to a lot of men and they have so much, um, self doubt because, and, but nobody talks about it in females. I think women tend to talk about it more. Wow. Okay, that's good to know. So now when you're looking at your boss, if you work for corporate America and you're sitting across <laughs> from your boss and you're trying to negotiate, you could just think they themselves are feeling it too. A hundred percent, yes. Is there ever a time though where you it, it's justified? Those feelings are justified because it's new territory for you? I think so. I think you, I think before you majorly pivot, you need to do your research. You need to know your got some knowledge in that industry, you have uh, experience or you're learning. That's why continuing to self-learn is so important mm. um, because if you do want to change something, you, you do have to have some experience at least in that area. I, I think so. Yeah. And you know, Sandy, I'm going to add that, especially I'm going to say for women, 
But running a household, if you have children or you've run a household, you have run a business. You have done a lot. You've managed your budget. You've, you know, managed children going off in all different directions. And um, I think someone brought that up that uh, coached me on entrepreneurship. And she's like, yeah, but you've already run a huge business. You ran a home with three girls. And I thought, wow, that is really a great point. Oh, see, that should be on our list that I would have never put on the list. See? It should be on everybody's resume. <laughs> yes, and we all need to, actually, when we're putting together a list, we need to go to other people and say, hey, what is it? What is it about me that is, is great? Or what do I do that's great? Oh, my gosh. Sandy, perfect. Yes. So a really great way is to ask people you trust. You got to make sure you trust them. Otherwise, people... Um, Ask them, like, can you just say, if you were to describe me, give me three words or something? That is great feedback. That's a great point. So would you say advice that you would give to somebody who feels stuck right now or kind of just treading water in their career? Would you feel just, okay, do a little research, make sure you're going to, you know, explore territory that you belong. But do you feel like just go for it, do everything and anything and see what sticks, or would you have a more narrow focus? No, I would really know what you want. So I think defining your goal, what do you want? What do you want a personally and what do you want professionally? And really have that clear in your mind because our minds think in picture, our mind is like a GPS. And if you don't plug in the coordinates of where you want to go, that's why people feel stuck. They're just, they probably don't know what to do. And so if you have a goal and you're very clear on it and make it a big goal, um, because you'll accomplish those little goals on your way to the big goal, that's the way, that's the way to get to what you want. And you're writing your goal down. A very small percent of people do that, but the most successful people all do that. They write the goal in a very clear, concise way, and they carry it with them. They look at it. They create their tasks every day around achieving that goal. So it's very important to have a goal. Do you have an off day? Yes, I do. I do. And how do you get yourself out of that off day, that funk? You know, I know how important it is to not stay there very long because you know we attract what we where we are and what we think about so simple things like taking a walk meditating doing something um reading something that i know is very positive that will help me grow um consciously spiritually and something funny it's always good to laugh <laughs> yeah yeah Oh, Mary, you are so wonderful. Oh, well, thank you. And I just want everyone to know that everyone has talent. Everybody's capable. And just go for it if that's what you want. Because if you didn't, weren't meant to get there, you wouldn't want it. All right. Start doing this today. If you haven't already, it's going to help teach your kids how to live beneath their means. Grab a chair. We take a seat at the kids' table next. All right. Welcome to the kids' table. We take a seat at the kids' table every week with Money Savvy Generation founder, Susan Beecham. Thank you for being here. Love being here. All right. So this is a phrase that we have said a million times. Every financial expert will say it. I mean, it's just right. 
live beneath your means. So have the kids caught on to what that means? We asked the kids what they think it means to live beneath your means. Okay. What does it mean to live beneath your means? It means to have a budget and not go over with your budget. I think it means to not overspend what you have. So like if you don't have a certain amount of money, then don't spend more than it. So like spend under what you earn. So then you still have money. What does it mean to live beneath your means? Um, beneath their means. <laughs> your means. Um, uh, let me think. Should we wait or should we move on? <laughs> should we bring Susan in? Yes. Okay. You know, I love a kid's take on these questions because they're always so good. I mean, they're always so, so much smarter than I think most parents would think if they asked their kids, what does it mean to live beneath your means? You know, of course you spend less than you make. I mean, that is a given and they get that. But as parents, how do you translate that in a meaningful way to your kids? Well, you do it by introducing, yeah, you guessed it, allowance. Because allowance is the gateway to budgeting. And budgeting is the only way you're going to know if you're living beneath your means. So conditional allowance is the kind of allowance that I love and support. It can be paid on the condition that certain conditions are met. So if you're a kind of family that wants to assign chores, chores that I hope are outside the normal family responsibilities, and you want to assign value to that, so that becomes a part of their allowance, go for it. That's the condition. If you want to assign responsibilities for certain expenses, so clothing, if you want to say it is up to you to buy your sports uniform or your, you know, your recreational clothing, assign the responsibility and make sure you give them in their allowance the money they need to take care of that. Now, allowance allows kids to take a look at a sum of money and practice delayed gratification. Any chance you get to get your child to stop, think, and reflect increases that muscle, that wonderful muscle of, oh, do I need that? Oh, can I afford that? Oh, I want it, but do I need it? So holding your kids accountable for their money decisions is a good way to raise a young adult that takes personal responsibility for those decisions later on. And you know, Kids actually feel safer when you teach them how to work within boundaries, to live within means, not to spend everything because they feel more in control. Think of the person who never balances their checking account. I've never met a person who says to me, yeah, it's not a problem. They're all anxious about it. They just don't want to do it. So if we try to teach our children a habit, when they were 16 or 17 years old, we would have less success because now we're changing behavior. But if we start when they're very young, early years, six, seven, eight, then we're molding behavior. Yeah, that's interesting because if we ourselves right now as adults are struggling with this and 
hey, some of us do struggle with this. Now we think back to when we were kids, were we ever taught? Do we ever have practice? Right. And it's better for you to be practicing and for them to be making mistakes with $25 than $2,500. Yeah. You know, yeah. I often wonder about the stimulus checks that kids are getting. What are they doing with them? Is that a windfall that's meant to be spent? Or is it a windfall that meant that's meant to be saved, some spent, some do donated, and some put in invest? Well, they're not going to think that way unless it's a habit, one that yeah. you molded. So one of the conditions of allowance should always be save. A portion of every allowance payout, they must put in save and they must put in donate. They could put a dime in it. I don't care what the amount is. They could put a penny in it. You're just teaching them the habit of allocating to those four categories. And why is that important? Because if save is one of the allowance conditions, then when all else fails and they trip up, which they will, then they go back to their wallet, not your wallet. So they go back to their savings to help them dig out of a hole instead of yours. I would love for you to take a look at my blog, susanbeecham.com, because I talk about all these topics, lots of information, or go to our website, moneysavvy.com, which has a bunch of tools to help you have this conversation and continue to have this conversation. All right, perfect. Have a good weekend. You too. There you go. There's another episode in the books. If you need anything, any help with any questions, money questions that you have that you want us to tackle in No Dumb Questions, just let me know. If you have a guest that you want me to try to get on the show, reach out anytime. Or if you just need help talking to the kids about money, that's what we're here for. This podcast is for you. Let's raise a glass now and say cheers to being financially confident women. Have a great weekend.